This is Rabbi Sharon Brous, Rabbi Adi Kar, where we're dedicated to reinvigorating Jewish community, ritual, and learning, all while laying the foundation for a just and loving society. You're listening to Ikar's podcast, where you can hear our sermons from Shabbat and holidays, our teachings, our guest speakers, basically anything we think worth hearing that we can capture and stream, you can listen to right here. The whole Megillah. I mean, literally the whole Megillah. So thank you so much for being with us. My intention this morning is not to upset anyone with my sermon today. <laughs> imagine, imagine your sermon gets picked up in the paper, but not for the content, just for the trigger warning at the beginning. I need to say some things that I know will upset some of you, but today I'm not going to upset anyone, which I know in its own right might be disappointing to some of you, but we're just going to go with it. I actually want to talk today um, about art because on Thursday evening, David and I went to a, a gallery nearby and we saw the most incredible art exhibit that was um, created by our dear Robert Russell, who's a beloved member of our community. And I know that there were others in our community who saw it. Um, ju just a word about what was going on in this gallery. Robert paints big. He, he spent a couple of years working on a series of teacups where he, would, he found these old porcelain teacups and he would paint them into these extraordinary seven-foot canvases. And when he was done with that project, he realized how much he enjoyed working with porcelain and he was trying to find uh, another way to continue this work. And he found this mysterious porcelain company from Germany Weirdly, it was a company that seems only to ex have existed in the 1930s and 1940s in Germany. And as he dug a little bit, he found that this was a porcelain company that was owned by Heinrich Himmler. Now, Himmler, in addition to being a mass murderer and genocidist, also loved puppies and bunnies and loved making little porcelain figurines of them. And in the 30s, he developed this hobby. And then when the war started, he had a hard time finding workers who could work in his porcelain factory. So he moved the factory to Dachau, where he had slave laborers, Jewish slave laborers and others, making little porcelain figurines of puppies and bunnies and wide-eyed wide doves and, and bears. Um, so that Nazis could send them home to their wives as little gifts of love and affection while they were away working hard at the genocide of our people. Two generations later, Robert Russell, because of his interest in painting porcelain, comes across this story and has dedicated himself for the last year, year and a half, to painting now seven-foot portraits of these images of little porcelain figurines that Nazis forced Jewish enslaved laborers to make in order to suit their fancy. And it's quite remarkable to walk through the studio and to see these images. And, and, and here's what it says in, in the New York Times describing it. They're hauntingly pretty and grotesque. The canvases are so big that there's little visible space on the wall of his gallery. Now there's a little space in the, uh, where they're being shown. The works feel perverse, but also 
defiantly seductive. That's the way the LA Times described it. I've been thinking about this art project as I encountered Parshat Kitisa in preparation for this Shabbat. Because th there's, there's a big machloket, a big debate between our rabbis over the generations about this week's Torah portion. The debate actually has to do with sequencing. The question is, did things actually happen the way that they appear in the Torah, where two weeks ago at Parshat Truma, you might remember, the Israelites are commanded to make a mishkan, a desert sanctuary full of gold and linen and purple and bells and planks to serve God. And then two weeks later, they make a golden calf. Or was the order actually inverted? And the golden calf happened first, and only after the Israelite people showed that they needed something physical, something to cling to, something to worship and dance around and sing around, that God realized that they actually needed a mishkan, a physical space that they could touch and they could dedicate themselves to uh, and their artistry to. Now, Ramban and many others, not Maimonides, Nachmanides, Ramban and many others say, that's a little Purim reference right there. You'll have to catch up after Shabbat. <laughs> say that actually things happened exactly the way they appear in the Torah. That it's chronological, what we read. That the, somehow the golden calf came after the description of the Mishkan. But Rashi very famously draws upon this rabbinic idea. Ein mukdam ve'ein mu'achar b'Torah. There's no early and later in the Torah. There's no chronology. This is, this is just, these are just eternal truths. And sometimes they're a little bit inverted for the sake of the story. And I find myself as a student of Torah, year after year, switching sides on this one. Sometimes I'm with Ramban, sometimes I'm with Rashi. Sforno actually explains another great medieval commentator. He actually says that according to God's original plan, we wouldn't have even needed the Mishkan if it weren't for the fact of the people creating the golden calf. Now, you remember from what we just read this morning, what actually happened at the golden calf, the way that our people in an instant, pulled off their gold earrings, threw them into the fire at Aaron's direction, and this calf emerged, and they sang, and they danced. And I think in one of the most painful moments said, this is the Lord your God who took you out of the land of Egypt, right? Something remarkable and notable about this story leads me this year to really take the side of Rashi over Ramban to believe that the story is in fact inverted and that it must have been the case that the golden calf preceded the instructions for the sanctuary. Bear with me for a moment, okay? The artist who is called up before the people is a young man, actually a 13-year-old boy named Bitzalel. Bitzalel is brought before Moshe and Bitzalel is, is the is the the, the master architect of the sacred space that we will create. Bitzalel's genealogy is mentioned in this week's parsha. It says, Bitzalel ben Uri ben Chur. I don't know if you picked up on that detail. You probably remember that, yeah. Bitzalel ben Uri ben Chur. Bitzalel is not only a person of extraordinary heart wisdom and insight, he's also the grandson of a man named Chur, that detail might not strike you as important. 
until you learn that one of the midrashim of the story of the golden calf is that when the people called to Aaron and said, build us a golden calf, and Aaron said, okay, give me all your jewelry, and all the men ran around and threw the jewelry into the fire, that someone did stand up actually and say, slow down, hold on a minute. This is not who we are, and this is not who we want to be. That person was named Hur. This is Miriam's son, the nephew of Moses and Aaron. And he, according to the Midrash, ran into the center where all the people in their orgiastic frenzy trying to build the golden calf were. And he said, no, we are not doing this. And for that, Hur was murdered by the frenzied crowd. Hur, at the presence of this art project of creating the golden calf, was murdered for resisting the desires of the crowd. His grandson, Bitzalel, is charged with the next art project that our Jewish people take on, the project of building the Mishkan. The reason that I believe that the golden calf must have preceded the Mishkan is because this is not just a great art project. This is a redemptive art project. The grandson of the man who was murdered in the frenzy of creating the golden calf becomes the person who's responsible for creating the beauty that will emerge from the Mishkan, from the desert sanctuary. Redemptive art. Now here's how one artist describes what redemptive art is. Redemptive art clearly shows the reality of our broken world does not try to clean it up and make people comfortable. But redemptive art doesn't stay there in the brokenness. Instead, it takes us on a journey through darkness to the light of hope. And that is why Betzalel's work in the Mishkan is so powerful, because he embedded in his own story the story of what went wrong before. And through the art that he created, he not only made beauty in this world from the same people who had made such a desecration, but he also redeemed his own family story. He lifted up his father's righteousness by creating the art that he did. And that's why Robert Russell's work is so powerful too. This is what Russell says. It's sort of a perfect subject for me to paint because there's so much vulnerability to it, which I like, and there's also something horrific about it. There's also something kind of medicinal about it. I want to make something ugly, beautiful. I want to sort of take it back, give it new meaning. I just want to make big, beautiful paintings out of this stuff. And he does. The redemptive nature of this artwork is that he takes these small figurines, which our people were forced to make when they were in slave labor camps, and he turns them now into something absolutely wondrous and beautiful. This is redemptive art. I wanna say how humbled I am to stand up here week after week in front of a room full of artists, visual artists, theater artists, writers, creators, musicians, people who make us laugh, people who make us cry, people who turn our world into art. And I want to bless our artists on this morning that you remember, that we remember that our work is not just to create art, 
It's to create redemptive art. It's to lead us through an honest, through an honest exposure, exploration of what's broken, and then to lead us on a path from darkness toward light. And for those of us in this room who aren't artists, say, say the people who are a little bit like me, who maybe joined a pottery studio almost a year ago and still keep making the same mediocre blue bowls almost a year later. For us, I want to bring us to the words of Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, who in one of his final interviews before he died, when he was asked, what is the message that you want to share with the youth, said, turn your life into a work of art. It doesn't only take writers and artists and musicians to do that, but every one of us can turn our lives into a work of art. And I would only add that we are called not only to turn our lives into a work of art, but into a work of redemptive art. And in that way, we transform our own stories and we transform our collective into something truly beautiful. I wish you Shabbat Shalom. Hi, it's Rabbi Brass again. Thank you so much for listening. Want more content like this? I hope you'll subscribe and please consider making a contribution to Ikar so we can continue to work toward the fulfillment of our mission to reanimate Jewish life, to embody moral courage, to nurture the spirit and to work to decipher what it means to be a human being in the world today. Visit our website at ikar.org. That's I-K-A-R.org. And I hope to see you maybe even in person sometime soon.